Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical world view. My name is Bruce Johnson. I am joined by my brother, Jacob Johnson. Hello. And he is back in Pennsylvania. I am in the wonderful state of South Dakota. And uh, we're very excited to be joining you while having you join us today. So go to TRD Show. Joining you for breakfast or whatever you're doing. (laughs) Breakfast, what have you, drive to work. Yes, whatever it is. (laughs) Joining you in whatever you're doing right now. You and whatever activity you're joining, yes, or doing. (laughs) (laughs) So go to our show website, trdshow.net. All sorts of cool stuff there. Get a free mug, t-shirt, or sticker by joining joining our referral program, which is on that website. Also, send us an email at trdshow at protonmail.com. And uh, follow our newsletter, which is also on our show website. You don't want to miss out on that. Today is Literature Wednesday, and this is a sad week for us because it is our once-a-month frequent episode where we are wrapping up our time with our book this month. And so for those of you who are new, Literature Wednesday our Wednesday, every Wednesday episode is Literature Wednesday for us here at the Reformed Dissenters. We always cover a piece of Reformed, well, maybe Reformed, maybe not necessarily Reformed, but principled literature. So we've covered books like Gary DeMar's Guiding Government, Ralph Matson's How to Find a Job You Can Love, Raymond Simmons' uh, The Confessional County, several, several books and titles that cover core principles and ideas central to the Christian worldview. And so this month we've been talking about presuppositional apologetics stated and defended by one of the world's leading uh, foremost experts or, or late leading foremost experts. Unfortunately, I think he died in uh, early early 90s, I think it was, mm. Dr. Greg Bonson. Yeah. Um, but he was influenced heavily by uh, Cornelius Van Til, his work on presuppositional apologetics. And so if this is your first time joining us and you have no idea what that word means, don't worry. We're going to reintroduce that just a smidge in today's episode. So, excuse me. Today, we covered pages 53 through 64, if I'm not mistaken. Was it 64, Jake? 63. 63. Okay. So, 53 through 63. Getting a little overzealous there with my pages. One more page. Did we grab that extra page? No. Okay. Um, So, we've gotten a huge chunk of the way through this book. If anyone listening has ever read Dr. Bonson's work, you'll understand how monumentous of an achievement this was to get 63 pages in in a month. (laughs) There is so much there. Um, Dr. Bonson's works are always just full of so much content. And we want to give give each chunk of that uh, work the time it deserves. And so we've been taking it like 10 pages per week. And breaking down just those 10 pages. And trust me, there's there's enough there to break down. So, um, yeah. But before we get into those pages, we have to talk about our verse of the week. And it is Wednesday. So, of course, Jacob, I'm going to pass it over to you to do just that. Take it away. Alrighty. And our verse this week can be found in, can be found in Colossians 3, 16 through 18, which says... Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in in your hearts to God. 
And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to to God the Father through him. And again, that is Colossians uh, 3, verses 16 through 18. And as we do every single time we talk about the verse, we uh, go through a little bit of what it means and what it means to us. And... <clears throat> Again, like Bruce did on Monday, I'm going to focus on the last sentence of this, which, again, if you didn't see it or you tuned out for that last sentence, (laughs) the last sentence is, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And if you'll notice, that wording is very familiar, almost as if we... (laughs) Use it as our outro on every single show. <laughs> huh. Which we do. We do every <laughs> single of our shows. Every single one of our shows. The last part of it, we say, in all that you do, do is unto the Lord. And this is taking the phrasing from this verse. And what we're trying to say is that in the beginning, God, right? Mm. God is the start, right? In the beginning, we focus on God. No matter what it is, we will do everything for the glory of God and also in the name of the Lord, right? That everything begins with God. And, and, but also, I wanted to sort of go into saying that we as Christians carry with us the name of Christ, Mm, right? We are Christians, Christians. And, we carry the name of Christ. So we are representations of Christ. We are representatives of Christ, basically. And so in all that we do, we will do it in a sense with God's name. Mm. But we must make sure that we are not blaspheming God. Yes. By doing wrong. Yeah. Right? By doing sin, by going through and... And basically bra- blaspheming God when mm. we do so. And and so we must make sure that we are doing things to the glory of God and that we are looking through his word to find out what the right thing is to do. Yes. So. Wow. Great breakdown. Thank you for uh, bringing up all those points. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really important that, <clears throat> excuse me, we, we are representing Christ. When people see us, we are meant to be, I think it's Matthew 5, 16, right after 15, or no, 5, 13 is our verse of the show, which is be salt. The next verse is be light. And if we are representing Christ and demonstrating the love and wisdom of Christ uh, effectively, then we will be good representatives of, of him. We'll be less of us and more of him. But uh, yeah, you're totally right. We need to be mindful that that is, that's our goal. That's what we're working towards. We, we should be, we should be mindful of that and intentional that that's what we're doing. And that goes directly into our discussion today, which actually begins to discuss, <clears throat> I mean, it, it starts out by presuppositional apologetics starts out by setting up the framework that everything has to rely on the word of God. The, the word of God is our ultimate standard. It's where we begin. It's where the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We can't start anywhere else. We have to start with the Bible, with scripture. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
But because um, it's the foundation of everything, we need to know what it says about all areas of life and we need to apply it to all areas of life so that when we represent Christ, we're actually representing Christ. We need to know what he said about all areas of life. So um, this is a reminder that the Bible should be our foundation for all of life, including apologetics. On page 56, Dr. Bonson said, thus far we have observed, uh, observed that the Lord places a radical demand upon even the apologist that he not put God to a test. One of the central reasons for this from the uh, epistemological standpoint, is that all knowledge for man depends upon the revelation of God. And then on page 53, he says the apologist must challenge the very foundation of the unbeliever's thinking when he attacks the faith with supposed knowledge of extra biblical fields of study. For every field of study and all things pertaining to life can be understood properly only with a presupposed knowledge of Christ. So, the beginning, the, the, the first quote, I want to break that down a little bit. And at the beginning, you know, he says, thus far we've observed, observed, there we go, I can say that word, <laughs> that the Lord places a radical demand upon even the apologist that he not put God to a test. So it's interesting that he uses the word radical there because it is, I mean, we are, we're not to, we're not to call God and put, put him to the test. We're not to well, let's analytically see if if the Bible is true or, or not. It might not be. Let's put mm. the Bible, let's put God to the test. We are the judge. He is the person we're judging. And uh, let's do it that way. And what Bonson is, is saying here is we've observed thus far that we have a, a radical demand on us to not do that. We have to avoid that at all costs as Christians. Because we're representing Christ. You don't put your king to the test if you're representing him. If you're the people he's sent out to be his messengers, his servants, right? So, yeah, I mean, a verse, a verse comes to mind, and this is only a brief paraphrase, but it's, um, let God be true and everybody else yes. a liar. Yes, oh, great point. Um, yep. But, yep. yeah, that we're not, um, we're not putting God in the dock. As, yes. as like our, the said first earlier. chapter was talking about. Yep. Um, God is not the one on trial. Ourselves and the unbeliever are. Yes. So. Yeah. yeah. Great point. Yeah. Let God be true and every man a liar. Yes. So. Actually, that plays directly into that other quote from page 53 that I mentioned Um let God be true and every man a liar. And Dr. Bonson said the apologist must challenge the very foundation of the unbeliever's thinking when he attacks the faith with supposed knowledge of extra biblical fields of study. For every field of study and all things pertaining to life can be understood properly only with a presupposed knowledge of Christ. So the apologist must challenge the foundation. We have to challenge the foundation of the unbeliever's thinking. When he's attacking us using extra biblical fields, so he's attacking us with science, attacking us with all these other things, we have to go back and be like, hold on a second. You can't actually account for these things. You can't understand them unless you step into our worldview. Unless yeah. you are inconsistent with your own worldview, you're presupposing that there's ultimate truth. You're presupposing that you can know truth. You're presupposing a lot of things that aren't presuppositions you should have if you really don't believe the Bible is, is our foundation. But the thing is they do. 
but they suppress that in unrighteousness. They cover it up. They pretend mm -hmm. like they're starting fresh, like they're brand new thinkers, like they've come up with these ideas all on their own, when in reality, they're borrowing and stealing from the Christian worldview instead. Because they can't. They can't account for these things. So they have to borrow from the Christian worldview. That's a good thing, but they shouldn't be lying about it and then spitting on the name of God with that same, using the wisdom that God has given them, the common grace that they're allowed to have, mercifully they're allowed to have that and accumulate that knowledge they yeah. shouldn't i mean their sin prevents them from truly understanding it but god still allows them a glimmer of that knowledge and what do they, they do are, with it they trash his name with it they are modern day pharisees they're yes. hypocrites yes exactly exactly yeah claiming to be wise they've become fools as romans hmm. 1 says yep so, all of that goes and plays directly into the importance of being regenerated in Christ. So, what separates us from them? What, what is it that keeps us from claiming to be wise and becoming fools? How do we not do this? How do we not suppress the truth and unrighteousness? And the only way we can do that is to be regenerated in Christ. On page 54, Dr. Bonson said, Only the grace of God is able to overcome the sinner's dead and worthless condition. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 10. Only God's grace will rectify the worthless condition of the sinner's thinking. This is not of our own doing, but is a gift from God. Until that gift is granted, the unspiritual man's reasoning will be vain, and he will continually see Christian reasoning as absurd, 1 Corinthians 2.14. And we talked about the absurdity of some of the things that we believe from, a non, from an unbeliever's perspective, right? <clears throat> the idea that you have to be brought low in order to be brought high, that you, the first will be last, Right? And the last will be first. All of these things, they, they don't make sense to an unbeliever. That you have to humble yourself before the face of the Lord and he will lift you up. That seems insane to us. You don't humble yourself. You, you make yourself greater in statue in, the, in this world hmm. if you want to be good, right? If you want to raise to a higher level, you have to, you have to do that yourself. You, have to, you, you don't humble yourself before the world, you go out there and you strive. You show that you're better. You show that you're smart. You show off your intelligence, right? But God's... And, and the thing is, in especially like my career in hmm. trying to do chefing and everything, they think that you, in order to be great, you need to be mean <coughs> and arrogant and prideful hmm. and you need to yell at everybody. Wow. Yeah. No, they, they think show of Gordon boss. Ramsay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They think they need to be Gordon Ramsay. And <laughs> right. uh, so it's it's like totally incomprehensive the the absurdity that they go to. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Claiming to be wise. They become fools. They become fools. Yep. 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 And so it seems absurd. First Corinthians two fourteen says that from their perspective, it seems like insanity. But when your eyes have been opened, when you have the gospel, when you've been regenerated, when you're a new creature in Christ, you understand these things for what they are. You under start to begin to understand this, this wisdom. And that's not from us. That's from God. So that in and of itself should humble us, that this wasn't from us. This isn't of our own doing. This is from God. It's a gift from God. So 
I want to give some examples throughout scripture of God's word being presupposed as truth. There are a lot of examples of this. Before I do though, Jake, is there anything that you'd like to bring up or anything you'd like to like to share or add to the conversation at all or no? no. Okay. All right. <laughs> so I'm going to steamroll yeah. you if, if you did. So <laughs> no, no, I will interject. Okay. No, when I have something. Different. Oh, I will know. <laughs> you will say, all right. Yes. Cool. Okay. So, um, so a couple of examples throughout scripture of, of God's word being presupposed as truth. So it's all well and good to say this and to say that the word of God should be our ultimate standard. But if the Bible itself doesn't say that, and if there aren't other people throughout history in the Bible who've done that, it doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Well, here are some really good examples. On page 58, Dr. Monson said, it is important for the apologist to pay special attention to the fact that throughout scripture, God's veracity is not defended, but accepted from the outset on his authority. We begin by noting that the very first chapter of God's special revelation assumes God's veracity and existence, and it does not argue the point. Unless we have more wisdom than that contained in the revelation of God, we should take the same attitude, end quote. So what he's saying here is that the very, and this is what we were talking about on our Monday episode, Jake, was that at the very beginning, in the beginning, God, it's assuming Mm. That God exists right off the bat. Right. There's no question. There's no attempt to defend that fact. It just assumes the presupposed yeah. uh, uh, position of scripture is that, of course, God exists. Only if only yeah. a fool would deny it. And Proverbs even says that of the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Right. Yeah. Only a fool will deny that there is a God, a sovereign being. And right off the bat. That's the Bible assumes in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Yeah. What, what, you're going to challenge that? <laughs> exactly. You have no exactly. basis, no ground to challenge that. So the, the, um, the unbeliever puts God on trial. Yes. The believer does not. Yep. Yep. When the unbeliever goes to science, he puts the God, on, he puts God on trial. Yes. And that it, but the, the thing is I say the believer doesn't, but he the shouldn't. believer in our day and age has. Yes. We have been putting God on trial by going straight to science. Yes. Right? Instead of instead of leaning on God's word, right? We lean on our own understanding. Yes. We lean on science. Yeah. Well, I mean, even not even just apologetics, but also take for instance civil government. We like to try and there's a fancy word and I'm blanking on what that term is now, but we like to experiment. We like to try things out. We like to be like, pragmatism. Oh, that's it. Pragmat- we like to be pragmatic about civil government. Be like, let's just, uh, let's try this out. Let's try out communism. See if it, oh, it didn't work. And because it didn't work to our standards, we're going to say that that's wrong. We did this as Republicans. It's, it's horrible. Uh, mm. Let's see. Uh, oh, inflation. Let's try that. Ah, didn't work. We saw what Germany did. Because it failed in Germany, that's wrong. Uh, what about big government? Oh, didn't work. In uh, look at uh, look at what happened in England. Because it failed in England, now it's wrong. Right. Who's the standard there? We are. Exactly. We're looking at and history. Then, we're looking at other countries, and because the other yeah. countries failed, that then tells us, oh, don't do that. When instead we should have been looking at God's word all along. We didn't need these examples. We didn't need 2000 years of, of Western civilization. We didn't need that 
We had the perfect and, infallible word of God to structure our government. And showing how loose it is and how, like, yes, how that pragmatism doesn't work. Right? We go back to the early colonists who started, who basically started America. Yes. They tried out communism. They did <laughs> communism. Yep. It didn't work. Yep. So they did something else. Yes. Right? They finally went to the Bible. Yes. And... And then, now today, we've forgotten that, mm. right? So now we want to go back to communism, even though, pragmatically, we've already tried it. Right, right. Yep. But yeah. we've forgotten that. Claiming and, to be wise, how... they became fools. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Just like, broken record, you know? <laughs> and that's how wishy-washy it is, trying yeah. to use prag- pragmatism. Yep. Right, and and so that's why it fails. Yes, because right? at the end of the because day, who's we don't the... go to God first? Yes, exactly, exactly. I was just gonna say at the end of the day, who's the one being pragmatic? Who's the standard? Who is the one that decides whether it succeeds or fails? We are, we're the ones, and that's a very, very scary p- place to be. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Um. So. That's just like that was Genesis one. <laughs> We've got three more examples to go through. So, uh, page 59, Dr. Bonson said, Abraham bowed to the word of God without doubting or proving it. He did not depend upon the authority of his own reasoning, but subordinated his thinking to God's. Consider also the case of Job. When Job finally got his hearing with God, it was Job demanded, uh, I'm sorry, it was Job who was demanded to answer to God's interrogation, Job 38, 1 through 3, rather than the vice versa, end quote. So there's two examples here. He talked about Abraham, but also I think the Job example is like, that one is is very clear. Job was literally on trial. Job was literally, God was like, did were you here when I laid the foundations of the earth? Were you here when I created this insanely huge creature that can do all these things and breathe fire and is under the water and all? Like, were you here when I did this? Oh no, oh no. What, what about this? Oh, what about this? Like, it was literally. And then at the end, I think uh, uh, Job literally got on his knees and ripped his clothes and said, "Woe is me! I am undone. I have no. I have nothing to say. I. I am speechless." And ultimately. That should be our position before God. When we try to put God on trial, the end of that conversation should be us saying, uh, I am speechless. <laughs> I have no words. Wow, that was a mistake. <laughs> right? And that was Van Til's quote is, it's up to us to shut their mouths. It's up to God to change their hearts. But hmm. God has given us everything we need in his word to show them their foolishness, answer a, cool, oh, answer a fool according to his folly, show them their foolishness, reducto ad absurdum, reduce it to absurdity, show them how absurd their thinking is and how they're complete fools. And, But the point of that is not to bring them to salvation. It is to show them that that's foolishness and to say that Christ is the way, but God has to work in their heart. You plant the seed, but God has to give the increase in order for that to actually do anything. So don't consider it a total failure if you walk away from the conversation and they haven't professed their love for Christ. I would consider it a failure if the only reason they profess their love for Christ is on pure emotion. But if you have removed all of their logical questions and they have nothing and, they, and then you give them the gospel and they say, wow, I have to think about that. That's a success. 
Well, if you've brought it to a point where they cannot, where they're realizing that their human logic fails and you give them the gospel, you show them where they can find true wisdom. That is what success looks like in this apologetic conversation. So another quote um, is on page 60. Dr. Monson said, from Abraham and Job, we learn not to question the word of the Lord. His veracity needs no defense for his word is true in virtue of its being his word. We define scripture as truth, therefore, uh, yeah, therefore, or presuppose its authority. This is not the conclusion of an independent line of thought, but the starting point of all our reasoning. So it's not the conclusion. It's not like, oh, uh, well, we really thought this through and the Bible makes a lot of sense because we thought it through and because we used our own logic. So that means it's got to be true, right? <laughs> it's like, no, it has to start from scripture. And if you originally used your own logic as the foundation, you got to fix that. You got to go back and patch that hole because that is a, that's a hole in your faith. That is a place that the devil will use later in your life to tempt you into unbelief. If, if logic and science were how you originally came to Christ, you need to reevaluate and make sure that that's that, that, that you go back and realize that those can't be your standard. The word of God has to be your standard. You have to understand that those things do not prove the Bible because it doesn't need to be proven because without it, you have nothing. Without it, there is no worldview that makes sense. You need the Bible. So on page 60, another quote from page 60, Dr. Bonson said, the apologist can also learn much from Paul's methodology in the book of Romans. Paul sets forth the attitude to which the defender of the faith must be committed. Let God be found true, but every man a liar, Romans 3, 4, end quote. So that was the verse that Jake brought up just a little bit ago. Um, so before I move on to my final wrap up, my final quotes, Jake, is there anything you'd like to add just to the conversation um, before we wrap up today? No, not necessarily. I think, uh, I think it's all left speechless <laughs> after all of those quotes. Uh, cool. I think really good, you know, just like we, we don't put God on trial. Yes. Like, yep. And that is amazing. Just the Job passage, right? Mm. Talking about that. God is the one asking the questions. Yes. Like, <laughs> Job is not. Yeah, God is the one asking. He started question. to, and yeah. I think he got off like two questions, and yeah. and then it's like three or four chapters of God's response, and at the end, Job is just speechless. <laughs> like, yeah. he he went in there with a little bit of you know, asking questions and the you know that attitude, uh, and immediately was just that was cut down, nipped right mm -hmm. in the bud. <laughs> yeah, yep. But if we're honest, that's what we do too. I mean, yeah. even without even thinking about it, whether it's conscious or unconscious, we don't put God at the center of everything we do. We commit idolatry on this level all the time. When we vote Republican, just thinking that's going to fix it, that's idolatry. When we don't read the word of God and understand what it says about civil government and work to apply that to civil government, and put it, but we instead put it all in the hands of Ah, Republicans, I don't need to vote for a pastor. It's like, are you kidding me? And Romans 13, where it says he's a minister of God for your good. A minister of God. That's who the civil government is meant to be. Sounds like a pastor to me. <laughs> like, I, I'm voting for a pastor to be in civil government. Like, I want people who know the law, the word of God, 
to be in charge of the country. In the Old Testament, the kings had to write their own copy of the law. They had to know it inside and out. Know it better than a lot of pastors know it today. So, yeah, okay, I guess I'm not voting for a pastor. I'm voting for someone who's better than a pastor <laughs> in yeah. modern terms, right? So, yeah, yeah, and that's that's one area that we really need to... It's just one area. There's so many others, but that's that's one in particular that I know a lot of people overlook because we've overlooked it for so long, which is why we're in the situation we're in today. Mm. But we do it in all sorts of areas too. It's not just the civil government, but that's one of the most glaring and obvious ones today. So with two minutes left, I'll just interject with these final two quotes and wrap things up uh, today. So uh, my one of my last quotes is from page 61. It says, all the wisdom that a man needs is available from God upon request, James 1.5. So we have no need to rely upon worldly philosophy in our apologetic. If we mediate between the authority of God and the alleged authority of humanistic scholarship, we are double-minded and thereby unstable in our defense of the faith, end quote. So, Wow, I'm just going to leave that right there. <laughs> Comparing that James passage where he's uh, double-minded and unstable in all his ways and bringing that into apologetics. That was very eloquently stated. Uh, page 62, last quote for today and last quote for this month from this book, actually, before we start our next book next month. Um, page 62, Dr. Bonson said, Final confirmation of these things is received by way of negative example taken from the Genesis 3 account of man's fall into sin. Satan's strategy in working towards man's fall was to undermine man's presuppositional submission to the truthfulness and authority of this word from the Lord. First, he called the word of God into question, verse 1. Then he actually contradicted it, verse 4, end quote. So, literally, this was the first great lie. Did God really say is it really true? Is the word of God really true? Uh, I don't know. I think we can come to our own uh, understanding. You'll be like God. You'll be like God if you do this. That is the first great lie is question the word of God and replace it with yourself. Very first lie. Anything, Jake, you'd like to add before we end today? Nope. Again, like Monday, I will let that stand. I will let that stay and I will <laughs> let that resonate with okay. everybody. Awesome. Sounds great. <laughs> well, thank you all so, so much for listening to us today. Don't forget, go to our website, trdshow.net. That is where you can find all sorts of cool stuff. Send us an email at trdshow at protonmail.com. We really want to hear your thoughts about what we talked about on the show today. And we're really looking forward to uh, seeing you again on Friday. We've got quite the discussion topic coming up. Part two of our Kingdom of God series, What is the Kingdom of God? And uh, this week we're talking about, will Christ have the victory? And uh, so you'll definitely want to stay tuned for that. Check us out on Friday. Looking forward to seeing you there. And remember everyone, in all that you do, do as unto the Lord.